Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the fifth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Miracles Do Happen, and we have a great story today. According to the Newborn Coalition, every 18 minutes a baby dies in the United States before his or her first birthday. That's 28,000 infants, and 4,000 of those babies die due to a congenital heart defect. Infant mortality in the U.S. is growing for the first time since the 1950s. Worldwide, 3.6 million babies die before they are one month of age. Congenital heart defects are the number one birth defect and affect over one in 100 babies around the world. Many heart defects go undetected and cause little, if any, problems. Some heart defects can be life-threatening if not treated within the first days or even hours after birth. A simple test known as pulse oximetry can alert nurses or doctors to look for an undiagnosed heart defect before a baby is sent home from the hospital, a test that is non-invasive and only costs a few dollars to perform. This test will often pick up subtle signs that something is wrong in what looks like a perfectly healthy baby, but a baby who may have a deadly secret. Our show today, How One Little Girl's Life Will Save Countless Others, will involve the parents of a very special little girl. Today's guests are Mark and Stacy Miller. Mark Miller was born in Pasadena, Texas, and grew up in Dothan, Alabama. He attended both high school and college in Dothan. After college, he entered the U.S. Air Force and served our country in both Desert Shield and Desert Storm. After leaving the Air Force, he moved to Jackson, Mississippi, and began what would be a 25-year career in financial services, beginning as a branch manager for a large multi-state bank and culminating as a financial advisor. In August of 2000, Mark's son and he moved to Dothan, where he met Stacy. Stacy Miller was born in Dothan, Alabama. After high school, she worked in the trucking industry for 24 years with her last position with AAA Cooper Transportation in the International Department, handling freight into Puerto Rico. Stacy and Mark married in 2003. In October of 2005, they welcomed the newest member to their family, Mary Beth, Stacy's first and only child. Little did they know how much she would change the world. Neither Stacy nor Mark had any history on either side of their family of congenital heart defects, so Mary Beth's congenital heart defect came as quite a surprise. Mary Beth has an older half-brother, Megan Miller, who is affectionately known as Bubba. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Mark, and Stacy. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, I'm very excited to finally meet you. I remember praying many, many times for Mary Beth over the years, so it's nice to finally get a chance to meet both of you. Thank you. Nice to meet you as well. Stacy. I know from corresponding with Mark that Mary Beth was born at 34 weeks. Can you tell me about your pregnancy with her and her birth? Well, my pregnancy wasn't your typical pregnancy. The whole time I was pregnant, I really did not feel good. And the day that I went into labor with her, I wasn't really sure what was happening. I kind of felt like my water had broken, but I wasn't sure. When I went to meet with my OB, she told me that I definitely was starting labor. And I knew I was 34 weeks, so I was a little concerned about that, but not overly concerned because I knew that we were still pretty much within the percentile of everything being okay with the baby, and of course we had no idea anything was wrong with her, and when I went into labor, it was your typical labor, and then all of a sudden my blood pressure started going up, and her heart rate started dropping, my heart rate started going up, so they decided to do an emergency C-section. 
And once the C-section was done and she was born, she was only a little over three pounds. So we were kind of really surprised at how small she was because we really felt like mm-hmm. she should have been a little bigger. Mm-hmm. So that was, yeah, you know, that was tiny baby. Yeah, she was very tiny, and we really felt like she should have been a little bigger, and we were surprised. So that was a shock to us when, when mm-hmm. she was born and was that small. Mm-hmm. Being born early like that, were they worried about her lungs? No, really, they were not worried about her lungs. That was never really anything that they were worried about at that point. Of course, when she was born and she was so small, there was some worry at her size. So at that time, Mm -hmm. we didn't Mm -hmm. really know what was going on. So you didn't know in utero that she was going to be born with a heart defect? No. When did they finally diagnose it? She was born right before midnight, and the night that she was born, our pediatrician, he knew that something was wrong. He kind of detected a heart murmur, and he said, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not uncommon for babies to be born with a heart murmur. So Mm -hmm. he was kind of thinking that that must be what it was, and he said normally within 24 hours, a lot of times the heart murmur will close up, and you won't hear it anymore. The next day, it was really more evident that she was struggling and something was going on. So Mm -hmm. at that point... He felt like something was going on, but really didn't know what it was. And at that point, they had to to life slide her to a different hospital for her to be um, evaluated. So, um, and then that's when we found out after testing was done. I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital a week after she was born. Right. And she was in the NICU, and Mark and my mother-in-law were with her in the NICU, and I was four hours away from her, so, of course, he had to get all the news and relay it back to me. Mm-hmm. So, And I'll let mm-hmm. him fill you in a little more on that. Okay, that's great. Mark, why don't you tell us about what you learned about Mary Beth's heart defects and what surgery she's had, all of those kinds of things. The first week was pretty tough because mm-hmm. I was in Birmingham, and I've always equated that personal period you find out is like you're on a merry-go-round. And mm-hmm. to start with, the merry-go-round's going to normal speed, and then all of a sudden you start finding out the heart condition. It's like somebody hits the fast button on the merry-go-round, and you're mm-hmm. just trying to hang on. Right, and right. So I was up there in Birmingham, and Stacy was in the hospital in Bothan, and they wouldn't let her leave, and so I was worried about her and how she was going to be, and then I'm sitting there trying to pay attention to all the doctors, and I remember when the doctor first came in and was telling me about the medical condition, I told Stacy later it was almost like this little space around me, time had slowed down, but everything else around me was going at normal speed. Because I just mm-hmm. couldn't believe what was going on. And mm-hmm. being worried about Stacy, and Stacy never got to hold Mary Beth for the first mm-hmm. week. And I know the first time I got to hold her was on that Thursday after she was born. And that was the first time she'd ever coded on us. And, oh. you know, which just scared me to death. And because, mm-hmm. like, I had very, very little experience with anything in the medical field. So I've always said I don't like hospitals, I don't like going to hospitals, and all of a sudden it looked like we were going to be living in a hospital. As a dad, you always feel like you can fix everything, and that was probably one of the biggest things for me is I couldn't fix anything. Sure, absolutely. Especially if she was coding right there in your arms. I mean, how terrifying. Yeah, I'm sitting there, you know, and you're in the NICU when you start out. The first thing you learn is you watch your monitors and you know what the alarms mm-hmm. are on your monitors. Mm-hmm. And so the alarm started going off. Her stats started dropping. And the next thing I know, the nurse is grabbing her from me. Here's two or three mm-hmm. nurses coming around, and they're pushing me out of the way because they got to take care of her. Mm-hmm. 
And so I'm just standing there off to the side with my hands in my pocket going, what do I do? And uh, after it got done, I just walked outside and broke down because I was like, okay, is this what it's going to be like? And so there was a lot packed into that very first couple weeks, and it was a huge learning experience. Right. So what was the name that they gave to the heart defects that Mary Beth was born with? One doctor always called it hyperplastic right heart syndrome. Another doctor said it was tricuspid artesia with a hyperplastic mm-hmm. right ventricle, which is the same thing. Right. But she also had an unrepairable AV canal, and she had a VSD. Mm. She had dual subpoena there, cavas with an interrupted inferior vena cava which, you know, those are the two main veins that lead back into the right side of the heart. Then we had some chromosome deletions, and her left valve was also tricuspid. And uh, we had one doctor at one time, and this actually came up later as people were saying that wasn't true. He said we had malrotation of her liver and spleen also. Wow. That's a lot to deal with in one little girl. Wow. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it was amazing because, you know, these are all these big words, and I'm trying to sit there and remember all of it so I can tell Stacy on the phone yeah. and, yeah. you know. Not that she would know all those words either. So it's <laughs> no. not even just learning all the words. It's what in the world are they talking about and how yeah. to explain it to your wife without terrifying her. She's four hours away. Talk about feeling helpless. She can't even yeah. be there to look at Mary Beth, much less to do anything. And so I'm sure you were put in quite a difficult position, wanting to care for your wife and not being right there by her side and also needing to be there for Mary Beth. I, I just can't imagine a much more horrible position to have to be in. So when they finally told you the names of all these horrible defects and they explained to you, they probably drew some diagrams on a board or a piece of paper for you, what did they say they were going to do to help her? They didn't give me a lot of hope that she would even leave the NICU. They said that she would be very lucky is the word they used if we took her home. And they started detailing out the surgeries we'd have to do, which was the first one they were saying was going to have to be a pulmonary arterial banding. And then the next one we would do would be the Glenn, and then we'd do the Fontan. And then at that point, they were saying, okay, that should be what we think we'll have to do. And then they gave us three paths that our lives would take. The first path would be she wouldn't leave the NICU. The second path would be we would be doing all these surgeries, and when she was five years old, her body would just give out, and we would lose her. And they said, at the very best, everything works out. The surgeries go exactly like we want them to. You guys are going to go home, and she's going to be eight years old, and you're going to be watching her through your kitchen window, and you'll see her fall off her bicycle, and she's had a heart attack and died. Oh, my gosh. And that, they and that's said that to the you? Three yeah, that's the three options they gave us. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. How in the world did you respond to that? He said that, and he started saying some other stuff that I actually don't remember, and I told him, you just need to stop. And mm-hmm. he said, what's wrong? I said, just stop. And I said, I have to sit here for a minute. And to his credit, yeah. he actually sat there with me, and I was just like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. At that point, I mean, really, what do you do? It was all surreal, and and even looking back on it now, I, I still get upset. I couldn't believe it was happening because there was no history in our families of congenital heart defect. 
I mean, mm-hmm. and we had never had any experience of congenital heart defects, so we didn't know anything about it. And so, right. and I you already had my... a healthy son, so you knew yep. what it was like to be the dad of a healthy child. Yeah. So, so it just doesn't even enter into your mind that something like this can happen to you. Oh no, no! It never crossed our mind while Stacy was pregnant that we were going to end up in that situation. Well, unfortunately, this happens to way more people than what most yes. people in the general public realize. And it's a terrifying experience to be told that your baby could die or that the baby may survive some heart surgeries only to die later on of a heart attack. I mean, that's not something you expect to hear a baby or a child going through. So let's take a quick commercial break and come back with a much happier segment (laughs) where we get to hear more about Mary Beth and how she proved those doctors wrong. We need to take one quick commercial break. Stay with us. We'll be back to talk with Stacey and Mark in just a moment. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today our topic is how one little girl's life will save countless others, and today's guests are Mark and Stacy Miller. We just finished talking with Mark and Stacy about Mary Beth's birth and the heart defect she was born with and the surgery options that she had, but now let's talk about some miracles. That was a pretty terrifying opening, Mark, for you to share with us, but sadly it's not uncommon. Many of my listeners know from me sharing Alex's story earlier that just like you, our son's heart defect was undiagnosed until after he was born. And then just like you, we were given horrible news and we were told to just take Alex home to love him for what little time he had left and that they didn't expect him to survive the surgery. But Alex did survive and he's now 20 years old, so he definitely proved the doctors wrong. And I think you have a story to share with us about Mary Beth surprising the doctors. So who would like to tell me about how Mary Beth did survive her first surgery? I'll let Stacey do that one. Okay. Her first surgery, of course, we were lucky. She developed stenosis where they were going to have to pull a pulmonary band. She actually developed a stenosis, so they were, you know, they weren't going to have to do that. So we were able to go home and be home for six months before she had to have her first surgery. So we were lucky with that. She just she really surprised the doctor, surprised us all. And we were lucky that we didn't have to have a surgery until she was six months old because she was doing some things that the doctors didn't think she would be doing at that point, but she was. And so we wow. had our first surgery at six months old. And after mm-hmm. her first surgery, she gave us quite a scare at that point, which she did tend to do most of the time when we had surgery. She would give us quite a scare. We always joked that she loved the, the ICU unit. Oh, no. And she, <laughs> she really did. We always joked that she enjoyed the attention. Her first surgery was great. Everything went well. And we were actually able to get through that surgery. No problem. That was the pulmonary band. And at that point, she was able to go until she was almost two before we had to have another surgery. So she did really well after that surgery. 
So she didn't have the hemifontan or the Glen for her first surgery. She had the pulmonary BND, but they were able to wait for six months before they did that. That's a miracle. Correct. Correct. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, a miracle. Stacy had called me when they were in the NICU, and they were worried about doing the banding because Mary Beth was so small, because mm-hmm. she was under four pounds. And they were really worried about doing that surgery then, and they had done a sawgram on it and had seen that the pulmonary artery had closed up exactly the amount the surgeon was going to close it. Wow. And so when we were able to put it off, he came in, and because she had grown, he said, okay, well, now I need to do the banding. But she gave us the time for her to get a little bit more healthy and get a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is dangerous when they're so tiny. And to think that our baby's hearts are really about the size of a walnut. You don't want to do anything more than you have to. You want that baby to grow bigger. You want the heart to grow bigger. But for a lot of our kids, that's not an option. If you don't do the heart surgery, then they won't grow bigger. So Mary Beth was a miracle from the very beginning. First of all, that she survived the birth sounds like it was a fairly traumatic birth event for her, and she was premature. And then to come out of the NICU without needing that first surgery and not actually having to have surgery until she was six months old, hopefully by then she was quite a bit bigger. She Uh, was. She was eight pounds. She was right at eight pounds when we were able to do that surgery. That's a big difference. Yeah, they wanted her at around 7 pounds, so we were able to get her to just a little over 7 pounds, between 7 and 8 pounds, then before they actually did the pulmonary banding. So we were blessed, and we were lucky. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It sounds like some angels were watching over Mary Beth. So, Mark, tell me what miracles you feel that you witnessed thanks to Mary Beth's life and the time that you spent with her. With Mary Beth, it was sort of unusual. It was like living with somebody that was here for a purpose. And I remember one instance, and this happened, and me and Stacy always rejoice in this because we're Christians, and I think if we didn't have our faith, I don't know how we would have made it, but I got a message from a lady in Iowa that we had never met. We don't know them. And she told me that when Mary Beth had went into the hospital in August of 2011 while we were waiting on transplant, her husband had started following Mary Beth. Now, her mm-hmm. husband, in the 27 years they'd been together, had never been to church. His family didn't go to church. He had never prayed. She took her kids to church, but he would never go. And all of a sudden, he's coming home from work every day, and he's asking her, he said, you check on my girl, how's she doing today? And mm-hmm. she said they were sitting at the dinner table one night, and he all of a sudden says, we need to pray. And wow. she said, she, you know, I fell out because... I've known him for 27 years, and he's never said that. And then it got to the point, before everybody would go to bed, he'd get his two kids and his wife together, and they would pray. And they would pray for Mary Beth. And then Saturday night, before she passed away, she said that her husband, that night as they were going to bed, he said, look, I want to go to church with y'all tomorrow morning. And Mary Beth had a unique ability to touch different people. And with either with her story or her actions, I mean, she just had this ability, this knack that I've always taken to be God-given, but she had this ability mm-hmm. to touch people, to motivate them to do different things. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember there was one little boy that was in the hospital while we waiting on transplant, and every heart parent's seen this situation, the kid that cries all the time, mm-hmm. and his room was right beside ours, and he just cried 24-7 nonstop. He didn't want to oh. be there. And this was probably 
three or four weeks before Mary Beth got her transplant, and she was at 17% heart function. So you can guess what her endurance was like at that time. Sure. She had but no endurance. We got a message after Mary Beth had passed away that Mary Beth had got up, they had went walking, and I guess Mary Beth had went in the room and said, hey, I'm Mary Beth, you want to play? And Aww. they sat there and played, and Stacy and the, the mom talked, and then you know Mary Beth was obviously shocked for the rest of the day because she was so right, worn out. Right. And right. the lady told me to, to that day when Mary Beth had passed away that when they go to church, he tells everybody about his friend that he had in the hospital. Oh, how sweet. Yeah, you don't so, have much endurance when your heart is barely functioning. And for yeah. her to take what little endurance she did to go literally to touch somebody else, to try and make somebody else's day a little brighter, that is that is a miracle. That's a very special, special little girl. And it sounds to me like you all witnessed quite a few miracles with her. For the listeners who may not realize it, the reason I was praying for Mary Beth and the reason why this gentleman was praying for Mary Beth is that we have an online heart community. And when we have children who have a special story or who need special prayers, it's not uncommon for people to post about that. And so for those of you who are listening to the radio but who may not know about these online communities, that's how we find out about each other, even though we may have never met in person before. So we need to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, I want to talk to Mark about the law that he helped to influence, or actually that Mary Beth helped to influence, that is going to save countless lives. We need to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back to hear about that. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today our topic is how one little girl's life will save countless others, and our guests are Mark and Stacy Miller. We just finished talking with Mark and Stacy about some of the miracles that they witnessed thanks to Mary Beth's life, and I have a feeling that Mary Beth has touched countless people that Mark and Stacy don't even know about. She was a very, very special little girl. So, Mark, I would like for us to talk a little bit more about the law that has come okay. into effect in Alabama thanks to your work and thanks to Mary Beth's influence. I always tell everybody it was more her than it was me. Like I said earlier, her left valve was also tricuspid, and we ended up the first part of 2011 having to put in a mechanical valve. And during that time, I had found some research that had been done by a doctor at Children's Memorial, and him and his nurse practitioner used some data that came out of Sweden the show that you can use the pulse ox as an early detection for congenital heart defects in children. And his estimation was 25% of all SIDS deaths are actually undetected heart conditions. If that's wow. true, we're missing hundreds of thousands of heart mm-hmm. conditions every year. Mm-hmm. And so I had called up a friend of mine who's in the Alabama house, Representative Paul Lee, and I asked Paul to meet, and I gave him this data. And his first response was, well, I don't know if we need it. Let me check. 
So I remember one phone call he made back. Some of the research I've initially done is I think a lot of these hospitals are doing that. And I said, well, I said, let's just keep going and see where it goes. And then I got a phone call. This was a few weeks after that. And he was like, I want to tell you something. I found out that less than 45% of the hospitals in the state of Alabama do any kind of testing for congenital heart defects. And out of the other 45%, there's only six hospitals that are testing regularly. Wow. And he said, so we're going to go ahead and move forward with it. And it was amazing. Everybody that was involved in the process had either heard us speak or had or somehow or another knew Mary Beth's story. And so mm-hmm. everybody involved picked it up, and it was like it became a personal mission for everybody. I remember the head of the Department of Health and Human Services in Alabama asked me one time, he said, why are you guys pushing this so hard? And I said, well, because it's the promise. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, I had a NICU nurse teach me the promise when Mary Beth was in the NICU because we had this one particular NICU nurse that would always come through and knew what to say to me when I needed somebody to say it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find out till later she had a heart child. And she had mm-hmm. went to work in the NICU because of her daughter. And Jamie was actually on the transplant list and had gotten sick and never got a heart. And so mm-hmm. even though that happened, Terry Alicia stayed in the NICU trying to help out other heart families. And so the promise is, as a heart parent, we have to help out the ones that are coming behind us to make it easier and better for them. And that's the whole purpose of the Pulse Ox. It's just like when we were running the testing period. I remember we had one person tell us that he didn't think we would find anybody. It was actually a cardiologist. And mm-hmm. in the first six months from August of 2012 to March 1st of 2013, we found 15 kids. Wow. So I remember telling Paul this was a conversation we had when everything was going and we were going to get the law set up. And I told Paul, I said, Paul, in 20 years, nobody will remember me, nobody will remember you, and nobody's going to remember Mary Beth. But there's going to be families out there that get a chance to fight because they're going to find out they got a heart condition. Right. How many people are touched by one life? Those 15 babies have two parents, have siblings possibly, have four grandparents, have neighbors. I mean, this has a ripple effect where you touch untold numbers of people. So the fact that you and the senator were willing to work so hard so that now in the state of Alabama, it's standard for the hospitals to do this very simple, non-invasive test that does catch babies who have some heart defects. It doesn't catch all of the heart defects, but it does catch those babies whose oxygen saturation level is much lower than it is supposed to be, and then they do some more testing, and then they realize, oh my goodness, this baby has a heart defect, because the scary thing is that so many of our heart babies look normal. They don't look blue. They don't look like they're laboring. They look beautiful. And then, yes, they go home. And I bet a lot of the babies who are SIDS deaths are caused by heart defects that were never diagnosed. Electrical problems with the heart don't show up on an autopsy. And a lot of people choose not to have an autopsy on their babies who die from SIDS. So I think the work that you did and the senator did and all of the other people, because this is an event that takes many, many hearts and hands. The Wednesday that we had found out that we were at the end, me and Stacy had walked out, and we were sitting in the waiting room waiting to go back in the CI because they were doing shift change. 
and there was a family sitting across from us, and their newborn infant was back in uh, CI, and they were sitting there talking about how this little test that the nurse had done told them that, and they shipped their daughter to the hospital, to a better hospital for a heart condition, and they were like, I couldn't believe some little test told them that. And you want to guess what the test was? Pulse oximetry. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Please, Stacey. Okay. I just, I just wanted to add the one, the one thing that was that was neat about the law being passed in Alabama is when we found out Mary Beth was at the end. The day before we went home on hospice from the hospital, it became law in Alabama that day. And it was also named at that point the Mary Beth Miller Law. Oh, well, a beautiful tribute to a beautiful little girl. Those of you who are listening with Blog Talk Radio can see the slideshow that I put together that shows the pictures of this beautiful little girl who has literally touched thousands of lives. So thank you, Mark and Mary Beth, for coming on this show. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. And follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. 